All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. I want to begin a brand new series with you. We're going to take our offering at the end of the service. Some of you are wondering about that, but we're going to do that later. So let's begin a brand new series. It's going to be a three-part series. I want you to take your Bible. If you have a hard copy, put it up in the air. If you have a phone app, then you can put that up in the air. This is the Word of God, right? This is the sword of the Spirit. And do we know how to handle the sword of the Spirit? Amen? You don't sound too confident. Do we, know, do we handle the, the sword of the Spirit at Harvest Reading? That's what we do, and we believe this book. We believe it's without error. It's totally and completely believable. I want to start a brand new series. I'm basing it on Hebrews 13.9. The writer of Hebrews said, Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. So I'm titling the series Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Stranger Things are happening. They're increasing in our world and in the church as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would open our understanding to the word of God. Help us to hear you speak. Help us to know what you have to say about stranger things that the church is believing in these last days. Help us to understand that 1 Timothy 4.1 is actually happening right now, that in the latter times, there are many who are departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So God, we pray that you would help us to be a discerning church. Help us not to fall away. Help us not to be deceived. Help us not to be tricked by the enemy. In Jesus' mighty name. All God's people say, okay, hold on to that Bible. Get ready to turn. I have some verses on the screen. Take the little handout that you have, and we're gonna get ready to go through stranger things. It's gonna be three weeks together. There are a lot of strange teachings down through history of the church. I'm gonna give you just three of them, and if you go online, you can find hundreds and hundreds of them. Here's one of them. The American Academy of Dissident Sciences. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, that is uh, a teaching on conspiracy theories and also focusing mostly on UFOs. And so you can actually be a part of that group, that academy. Here's another one called the Baphomet. The Baphomet. The Baphomet believe in the goat god, that you worship a goat. Here's another one. You might be familiar with this one. And again, I, there are hundreds of these, and I only just chose three that would make any kind of impact or make any kind of a you know, some kind of an impression. Here's one, chicken soup for the soul. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, that's new age. That's new age teaching. And so there are a lot of strange things happening in the Christian and evangelical church and down through history. And so we want to turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is gonna be the text for this morning's message. And I'm titling this message, A Crossless Christianity. A Crossless Christianity. It's a strange thing that's happened in the Christian church where Christians actually believe that you can have Christianity without the cross, that you can have a Christian faith, you can have a Christian existence without hardship, pain, difficulty, and suffering. That is a strange teaching that Christians in this country, it's not happening in other countries, it's happening in this country, where Christians are believing that you can actually have a Christian life without the cross of Jesus Christ. In other words, without dying to yourself. We need to look at this. Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna look at verses 24 down to verse 28. A crossless Christianity. Our lives here are not meant to be ultimately happy. Happiness is really the new worship word. And so you can study a lot on happiness and how to be happy. And, and I'm all for having a great vacation and being a happy person, but that is not the first purpose of our existence is not happiness and it's not prosperity. In fact, it's dying, Jesus said. 
And this is gonna be a teaching that is revolutionary not only to his, the people's ears of that day, but also to our own in this day. People resist the teaching of Christ as he preached this, and people today in the Christian church all across our country are resisting this teaching, the cross, and the, necessary, uh, the necessity of the cross. I wanna introduce you to a man named Arthur Blessed, if you could put his image up on the screen. Arthur Blessed started a coffee shop on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Is he up there? Is Arthur here? Nope, not that one. Pull of Arthur Blessed. In 1960s, he had a coffee shop that he started. He built a cross and he put it on the wall. And then Jesus said to him one day, I want you to take the cross down off of the wall and I want you to carry it to every country in the world. And so Arthur Blessed has literally carried the cross that he made to every nation on the planet. Is that phenomenal? Do you see him up there? He's not there yet? He'll get, he'll get there. We'll get him up there. Anyhow, Arthur Blessed has been a huge, huge vessel and, and used of the Lord in such a powerful and profound way. Matthew chapter 16 is a tremendous chapter. I want you to look at verses 13 to 18 to begin because Peter has a confession of Jesus Christ, and I want you to see it. Look at verse 13. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, say some, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replies, isn't that great? Peter's the only one who speaks up, and he says this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He gets a revelation that's supernatural about who Jesus Christ is. This is a great day for Peter. This is a moment in his life where he is, his eyes are open, his understanding is open, and he's downloaded this information about the identity of Jesus Christ. Of course, it goes on to talk about Jesus being the one who builds the church, but I want you to skip down to verse 21. It says here, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What's he talking about here? Peter has this moment with the Lord downloaded about who Jesus Christ is. Just a few moments later, he's actually saying things that aren't of the Lord. Isn't that so, so true about our life? Sometimes we are just doing well spiritually, then in the next moment, we're not doing so well. But we see Peter actually experiencing this. And so Jesus responds to him after uh, Peter says, this cannot happen to you, Lord. You can't mean suffering, it can't mean, because why is he thinking that? He's thinking that Jesus had come to overthrow Rome. They're, they're thinking that Jesus had come to bring success to the nation of Israel against the Romans, and that's not the purpose. The purpose of Jesus coming was to die, but that wasn't even in Peter's mind. And so Peter, or Jesus says this about Peter, you'll notice in verse 23, turn and said to him, get behind me, what? Satan. Would that be awful if Jesus just said to you, hey, Satan, you know? It's not, I don't think he was literally saying that Peter was a manifestation of Satan, but it says here, you are a hindrance to me. So he's looking beyond Peter and over and through Peter to what's coming from Peter. You're a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's where the problem is in modern evangelical Christianity is because the church is setting their mind not on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter fell into that. Jesus is rebuking him. And he's doing the same thing to Christians all over the place. This is a message that the church needs to hear. It's about the cross and about crossless Christianity. 
So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at what it means to be a cross-carrying Christian in verses 24 down to verse 28. So if you look there, I'm gonna read these out loud if you'll follow along. Here's the text. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his what? His cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's it. Here's three points here. Watch these. Watch them close. I'm going to bring them right from the text. Number one, this is a cross-carrying Christian. You need to be willing to keep losing. Verse 25, you gotta be willing to keep losing. Now, our life, our natural innate tendency is to survive. It's to live. It's to, it's to experience all of what life has to offer us. And you're given a, a life-threatening situation or circumstance. You're gonna do everything in your power not to die. This is innate in every human being. And so Jesus knows this. I've seen this countless times through the years of ministry where I'd be in a hospital and then there would be those on their deathbed and they are taking their last breath and they're struggling and straining not to die. That's inside of every human being. So Jesus knows that we're in self-preservation mode as a human being. It's something that is part of, of who we are. And so when he says, for whoever would save his life, he's understanding that's human nature. We wanna save our life. We'll do everything we can to save our life to stay alive. And so Jesus is gonna confront something here very important. The amount of effort that we put into staying alive and doing well and living life and preserving our life is just unbelievable. But what Peter is hearing from the Lord and what we need to hear from the Lord is what Jesus says. If you want to save your life, what's he talking about, saving your life? Well, it's talking about the worldly existence, not worldliness, but the existence that we have on earth our physical existence, but he goes further than that. He's talking about the will. He's talking about the will. In other words, you and I have a will. And so if you wanna save your will, that's what, we can say it like that. Let's take out the, we can save your life, but he's, he's talking about if you wanna save your will. In other words, he's confronting them on whose will do you want? Do you want Christ's will or do you want the the will of the world, or do you want the will that you have inside of you for this earth and for living on this earth and for preserving your life? And so he's confronting something that's basic to human nature is that we wanna survive, I wanna thrive, I wanna live, I don't wanna die. And so he's going into them and he's saying to them, listen, if you wanna save your life, we're talking about your will. Now, how many people were raised and you think you had a strong will growing up, right? Strong will? We all have a strong will. We all do. You haven't been labeled that, or maybe James Dobson's book wasn't in your home, and right, the strong-willed child, you remember that? That was a big deal back in the 80s, 80s, 90s. We all have a strong will. We're talking about the will of a person. And Jesus says that if you wanna save your life, you're actually gonna lose it in the long run. If you wanna protect your life, you wanna guard it closely, then you're actually gonna miss what God has you can have what's temporary. He's saying, if you want this existence here, if you want to hold on to your will and you want to grip your own will and do your own thing and have your own way, then you're actually going to lose on the other side. So you can gain here, but you're going to lose there. 
This is so, con- it's so contradictory to the mindset of the people that Jesus was talking to, or he wouldn't have said it or had it written down in Scripture, and it's contradictory to the way we think as modern Christian Americans. Let me introduce you to some. We're going to do a little movie trivia here. You're going to see an image on the screen. Can we pull Veruca Salt up on the screen? Do we have Veruca? Do you remember Veruca Salt? And so this is in Willy Wonka with the Gene Wilder version of uh, Willy Wonka, and she was, she was just a brat, wasn't she? Didn't she just couldn't stand her? You're like, she needs a whooping. That's what you were thinking you were watching that. And where was her dad? Just, you know, not doing his thing. So uh, she got, you know, to the point where she, in this scene here where she wanted the golden egg. And so uh, she said this, and she's very well known for saying, do you remember the line? I want it, and I want it now. Yeah, that's American mindset. I want it, and I want it now. And, of course, she jumped up on that, that scale, and it went over from good egg to bad egg, and everybody went, yes! Didn't you cheer? I cheered at that point. I was like, she deserved that. Where'd she go? I don't care where she went. She went down to get, you know, whatever. It was just, it's ridiculous, the mindset that she had. But you know what? That is what American Christians are thinking. I want my will, and I want it now. And Jesus is saying, well, you can make that choice, but then you're gonna lose on the other side. Or you can give up your will, you could lose your life, lay your will before me, die to yourself, and you're actually gonna get life given back to you. This is where he's going with this whole section of scripture. We've gotta be willing to lose, to lay down the life, to submit. Scott was talking about that during one of the exhortations during our worship time, submission. Raise your hands. It's symbolic of God, you know, your life. I want your life, not mine, mine are empty. My life, here it is. It's nothing in my hands I bring to you. This is, this is what we do. I, I give you my life. I lay it down. I don't want my life anymore. I want your life through me. This is where he wants for his readers and for us today as we're hearing this word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 10, he had already said this to the disciples. I'm going back now from chapter 16, to, uh, chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Notice, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take his cross. Take his cross. Everybody has a cross. You have a choice. When he's saying this, they understood what he meant. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So then six chapters later, he says basically the same thing. How many people need repeats, right? Don't we all need reminders? Because sometimes you grab your life back. I want my life. I'll do it my way. And then he has to say something again. You know, we're all like that. It's called sanctification, So anyway, the disciples are struggling with this like you and I struggle with this. Jesus dies. It's the greatest illustration of of what this is all about. He dies on a cross, and then he rises again. He gives up his life, and there comes the pattern of our life. We die, we die, we die. And then in that death, all of a sudden, I start to rise again in true life, abundant life, perfect life. But you have to go through the dying process. You have to be willing to lose. And a lot of people aren't willing to lose not in our culture, not in American culture. We, we're winners. We want to be winners all the time. And so when you talk about losing, nobody wants to talk about that. We hold on to our life with a tight grip, such a tight grip. This is a strange teaching. This is a stranger thing that's happening in the modern American church. And I'm, I'm specifying in America, but this Christianity here is not like other places where there's Christianity. And you go over where there's communism that was there, and you go war-torn countries. You have a different kind of Christianity. This Christianity is is completely different. And hence the the message that we need to hear in this series, Stranger Things. So why is this so strange? How has this happened? Let me just go through a couple of these things. If you want to write them down, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Soft sermons. 
Why is this message you don't want to lose? Soft sermons. Pastors are afraid that if they give a hard truth, and listen, Jesus gave hard truths. And what happened when Jesus gave hard truths? What happened to the people? A lot of them did what? Yeah, they left. They left, and, and then Jesus is standing there, and he's looking at his disciples. Are you going to go away too? Because he just gave a hard word. Preachers don't want to give hard words today because they're afraid that their congregation is going to go twice the size, and it's going to affect the budget. It's a big temptation for me. Trust me. I've been doing this a long time. And when you give a hard word and a direct word, you're, you're risking people getting upset and offended. I was telling somebody before service started, I preached. Remember, Dave, I was just having a conversation. I was preaching in the middle of a message back in Connecticut in our first church plant. Friends of mine who I've known for 25 years get up and they're fuming mad and they storm out the back of the auditorium. You give a hard word and people don't receive it today. Soft sermons. And so we're, we're trying to get, you know, trying to woo the people in. We're trying to get, oh, if we just kind of, you know, lower the bar down here somewhere, then people can come in, you know, and they'll be really comfortable here and they'll be really, you know. No, you just gotta be careful how you handle the word of God. The word of God sometimes has hard truths. Listen, the word to us is to die. It's to lose your life. Are you gonna lose your life? If Jesus says to you today, I want you to give up this for me, would you give it up? That's what he's asking us to do. Lose your life. Soft sermons, here's another one. Easy environments. You know America is an easy environment? It is an easy environment. It's just too easy. How about another one? Consumer culture. Let's go back to Veruca Salt. I just want it and I want it now. How about this one? Avoidance of affliction. We avoid affliction. The, the, the pain avoidance is amazing. We don't want to feel pain at all in America. So there's everything in the world for pain avoidance. You know, and I'm all for that. You know, if I have a major operation, my mother had a major operation, she had all kinds of pain meds. You know, she was, she was saying things coming out of her mouth. We didn't know what she was talking about. She was talking in a heavenly language. But we think maybe it was just because of the pills. You know, so there was so much pain that they're trying to manage for her. I'm all for that. But you know what used to happen in the old days when you had uh, issues with pain? But they stuck a stick in your mouth, right? <laughs> they stuck a stick in your mouth, and then you just had to grunt it out. You know, but today, it's just, I mean, modern technology, I'm all for that, so I'm not against that. If I had a major operation, definitely give me something, not a stick in my mouth. But it's just something we need to think about because we're so adverse to pain and hardship and difficulty. And when you have these things happen in your life, you know how many Christians just go AWOL? Oh, God, you messed up. I don't, I don't even think you believe, you know, I don't believe in you anymore. I don't think you love me anymore. And then they go AWOL because hardship came into the life and pain and suffering. It's part of the Christian life. Avoidance of affliction. Man, if you want to go to a restaurant, you don't even have to go into the restaurant anymore. You just drive up to a window. <laughs> right? You go to a store, you don't even have to go in the store. You just drive up to a window. If you go to Sonic, they actually bring it to you. Right? Next thing you know, Sonic's going to be feeding you. They'll bring it to the car, and then they'll say, open up, and then they'll feed it to you. This is where it's going. It sounds crazy, but it's just, that's the progression of things. Make things as easy as you can on Americans. I'm telling you, there's coming a day when America is going to be full of pain and hardship and affliction and persecution, and the Christian church isn't going to know what to do with that because they haven't been trained. They haven't been trained to die and lose your life for Christ. It's a strange thing that's going on. Let me bring up these guys. They're, you had them up there on the screen earlier, Scott or Zach. You bring up these, these five missionaries that were in Ecuador in 1956. They died in 1956. 
This is Jim Elliott. Uh, this is Nate Saint here, Jim Elliott. Peter Fleming in the middle. Uh, Roger Udarian, I believe that's who that is. And I, I can't remember the last one uh, over here. Um, but Jim Elliott, uh, let me just highlight him. They, they were, yeah, they, they knew what it was like to lose their life. They lost their life before they got a spear in their chest. And people thought that these guys were nuts because they're all like Valley Victorians. They're all like top of the line in, in academics. Jim Elliott was, the, you know, a high school champion wrestler. And so when he says, I'm going to the Aka Indians, which were killers, the people thought that he was crazy, all of them. They, people thought that these guys were nuts, that they would give up all of that. Here's what Jim Elliott said. And, and I, we had the, my wife and I had the privilege of sitting down with Elizabeth Elliott in her home. And she goes, do you want to see Jim Elliott's Bible? And I said, yes, I'm looking through his Bible and I'm, and his journals that I've read. And this is what he said. He is no fool who gives. What's the rest of it? Do you know? Some of you know what it is. Who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. They understood what it meant to take up the cross. I'm gonna give up my life, my prosperity, all the things that I could acclaim, get acclaimed for. And I'm gonna go to this tribe down in, in Ecuador. And if I need to die for the gospel, I'm gonna do that. Man, is that thinking so far away from most of us as Christians today? But that is the gospel. We have a hard enough time getting people to go in the nursery and, and kids' ministry. You think they're gonna go to a, a country like this and then get a spear? Here's a picture of Jesus. It's taken from Mel Gibson's uh, movie, which you've probably seen many years ago. The Passion of the Christ. This is Jesus carrying his cross. Now remember, they understood carrying a cross because Romans would crucify hundreds, if not thousands of people. And they would, they, people would be literally on the, on the roadsides being killed on crosses. And people would walk by and you'd see this person, a criminal, and there, there he is dying there. And, and they just it used to be like telephone poles. One cross after another. So Jesus says, take up your cross. They're no, they know exactly what they mean. You're gonna die. This is death, a death sentence. Death to your will. You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose your will to my will. So Jesus picks up the cross beam. This is a scene from that. He's going down the Via Della Rosa, and there's a parade. You ever been to a parade? You line the streets. Well, this is a parade that day as Jesus takes the cross beam. And then I thought to myself, what if I was in that crowd that day watching this? As he goes by, what would be going through my mind? Would I step out from amongst my peers and my friends and my family and go, Jesus, yeah. How about that guy? Didn't somebody come out of the crowd and they picked up the cross or helped him, right? I don't think it's in that scene, but there's another picture I saw that had the guy that was helping him. And sometimes I wonder, as Christians, are we willing to get out of the, the parade, the sidelines, and go, Jesus, yeah, I'm gonna go with you. You know, and that means that that Roman soldier is gonna put a spear in my back, then, then so be it. But I'm gonna go down the Via Della Rosa with you. This is what he's asking of us. And somewhere along the line, Christianity has gotten fat and sassy and comfortable. And when we talk about losing our life and laying down our life and our will, Christians push back. They push back. So visualize yourself here in the parade and, and Jesus is carrying this thing and he's stumbling and there's blood as they're in the picture there. And he looks over at you. And what's he gonna say with his eyes? Are you willing to come out of the crowd? You're thinking, but I'm so insecure. I just fear man so much. I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want my mom or dad to make fun of me. 
All of that should not matter anymore if Jesus is calling you to follow him down the Via Della Rosa. So we don't want to choose our mom or dad or our family or our friends. If they're against Jesus, you just want to say no to them and you want to say yes to Jesus. This is the call. We're going to lose. Number two, be willing to keep losing. And then number two, be willing to keep leaving. It's in verse 26. A cross-bearing Christian, this will require leaving the world. The pride, the prosperity, the pleasures. Can I look at verse 26 with you? Look at verse 26 in our text. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, there's this gain thing. I want to gain the world. Now you got to leave the world. Now that doesn't look like some of the, the things, situations and contexts that we're living in here. If you go down to Lancaster County, it doesn't mean that. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a rules and regulation thing. It's a mindset. It's, it's like, God, you know what? This world, I'm gonna be here for just a little while and I'm gonna do your will and I'm gonna follow you and glorify your great name and the gifts that you've given me. I'm gonna use those for your honor to build the kingdom. But you know what? My eyes are really on heaven. That's what he's talking about. Are you willing to leave some of the, Moses left the pleasures of Egypt. You remember that text? And he, he chose to suffer with the people of God. I mean, Moses was a big deal in Egypt. Then he leaves with all of these, these children of Israel and then they start going through the desert. And what happens about halfway? What happens to the children of Israel? What do they want to do? They want to go back to Egypt. You got to be kidding me. You're going to the promised land. You got one of the greatest leaders in history. Probably, here it is, Jesus Christ, the greatest leader in, in Old Testament, New Testament. Then you got Moses. Then you got the people complaining that they want to go back to Egypt. They want the world. No, it's the pattern for all of us. Because we were in Egypt at one time. You're saying, I've never been to Egypt. We've all been to Egypt. That's the unsaved, dark place of our life without Christ. And so we were in Egypt. We were, you know, taken captive by the devil to do his will. Jesus saves us, rescues us, delivers us from Egypt. And then we're traveling to heaven, to the promised land. We're not to turn back and go to the world. Here's what happens typically, and I I know this is... uh, been experienced in many of your lives, at least the stories that I've heard, is that you've gone through some intense suffering. What happens in intense suffering is that the, 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 the things of this world grow strangely dim. Is that a hymn? Part of a hymn? The, the things of this world grow strangely dim. So think of your life as a dimmer switch. The world gets dimmer and dimmer as you're going through your suffering. And then heaven gets brighter and brighter. Have you found that to be true if you've suffered, especially unjustly? I'm not saying that you were just a knucklehead one day and you made a sinful choice. I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm talking about the suffering like Jesus suffered. Uh, You'll see that the world, the dimmer switch on the world starts to go down. It just doesn't matter as much. And you start looking to heaven. This is what he's talking about. So that heaven becomes like, man, I just can't wait to get there to be with you, Lord. It doesn't mean you're walking on earth like all melancholy and depressed and anything like that. It doesn't mean that. It just means, you know what? This world isn't everything. But man, has it become everything to a modern, uh, you know, American evangelical Christian? For sure. I can remember years ago, I was at Liberty. I'd just gotten born again. Now, when I got born again, I came out. I was like, fire! You know, I was, I was it was just exciting. I got born again. My friends were like high-fiving me. Chris finally got saved, you know, and so they're excited for me. One friend gave me his Bible. And then I started to interact with some of these Christians who have been Christians a long time. Now, remember, I'm a new believer, you know, and I'm like, Jesus and me, man, we're going to do this thing through life. 
And so I heard these Christians, they were talking about like, well, I hope Jesus doesn't come back, you know, right now. I want to find a real hot girl, you know, get married, have some kids, have a house. And I'm thinking to myself, why? I mean, even at that age, I mean, in spiritually, I'm like, what? I don't get that. Have you ever heard people talk like that? Jesus, no, no, would you just wait a little longer? You know, because I want to do this and I want to do that. Do you see what's wrong with that picture? You're loving the world too much. We got to leave the world. We ought to be looking to Christ and saying, Jesus, I want you to come back like today. <laughs> come back today. You're saying, no, 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 I got vacation next month. We're going down to Disney World. Come on, Jesus, can you wait till after Disney World? It sounds crazy, but Christians think this way. I've heard it over and over again. They love the world too much. We got to leave the world. Here's number three. Be willing to leave. Keep leaving. And then be willing to keep looking. Verse 27 and 28. This is, this is unbelievable. Jesus is saying that there's people here that aren't going to taste death until Christ comes back. In other words, you could be standing at the return of Christ. You're not a Christian. And all of a sudden, you're going to be looking at all of this thing happening, and you're, it's going to be too late for you. You're going to taste eternal death, separation from God because you haven't bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. It's going to be too late. And then you're going to be separated from him for all eternity. You know how long eternity is? Think about that. That's terrifying. So if you haven't trusted Christ today, don't wait any longer. But Jesus is coming back. You're looking. We're looking. Jesus, come back. I want to see you come back. I want to, I want to be excited when you come back. I want you to come back like today. Please come back today. What are you looking at? Are you distracted? We easily can get distracted. Anybody wearing a cross here? I had a cross. I forgot to pack it in my... Does anybody wear a cross here? Do you have a cross? People wear crosses, right? I wish I had my cross with me, but it's in my bag. I want to illustrate that because here's what I think is happening. I think the cross, um, you know, if I had it here, I just want you to, to kind of picture this in your mind. It's small. It's light. Um, that's not what Jesus is called. The, the cross is heavy, and it's hard. And it's going to require something of us. And so if the cross has just been reduced to such a, a little tiny thing, just a piece of jewelry that I wear around my neck, then I'm missing something here. It's so much more than that, Jesus is saying. It's mean, you're, you're going to die. Your life is going to come to an end. Not physically, not physically. Maybe physically, like the guys that... We're in Ecuador, but let me close with these verses in 1 Corinthians. Zach, if you want to pull those up. 1 Corinthians 1.18, this happened in the Corinthian church. It was devastating to Paul. He couldn't believe what was going on, but the church in Corinth was a mess. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, the cross is so important. It's the central event in human history. It should mean something to Christians. Of course, the culture in, in Corinth was the exact opposite, and they're trying to confront that with the gospel message and planting the church. Can we go to the next verses there? Chapter 1, 23 to 25. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Can I go back just to the middle of that verse with you? 
but to those who are called both Jews. Jews were supposed to be believers. They were supposed to be believers. Uh, I really think that um, most of them weren't. So the cross to them uh, didn't really mean a whole lot. I wonder if the cross doesn't mean anything to you or the church. Are you really a Christian? There's a strange thing happening in the Christian church in this country where we really believe that we can have a crossless Christianity. We can't. We absolutely cannot. Are you willing to keep losing your life Maybe there's something that you need to lay down. Strong, stubborn will. I don't know. Whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, just keep losing your life, keep leaving the world, and keep looking for Jesus' return. Let's all stand. Father, we pray that this would be a reality in all of our lives. As Jesus uh, gave a hard truth in John chapter 6, Lord, uh, this is a hard truth. Holy Spirit, you're the one that brings it to our heart and our mind, and then you work something in the will. And so we pray, God, that you would do that during this song as we worship you, as we glorify your great name. Help us to realize that you've called us to take our cross, so much more than a piece of jewelry around my neck. It's so much more. It's hardship, it's suffering, it's giving up, it's laying down. It's confessing, it's leaving the world, it's looking for Jesus' return. It's all of these things. We wanna be a cross-carrying Christian as a church. Holy Spirit, bring these strong truths, Lord, to our understanding and then into our decision-making process. May decisions be made in and throughout this next song as we worship you in Jesus' name.